This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Friday, May the 27th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And first, we're going to revisit the scenes of two large fires in Kent. They both broke out yesterday lunchtime, one at the harbour in Whitstable, the other in a former pub in Gravesend. Well, let's head to Whitstable first, and our reporter Brad Harper was there earlier. Firefighters remain at the scene after a blaze engulfed cockle sheds. Demolition crews have also been seen arriving with a large digger at the scene and workers surveying the site. Today you can see the charred remains of the building and its collapsed roof. There is also damage to the neighbouring Crab and Winkle restaurants and fish markets. This comes after the launch on Monday of the South Key Shed, which is next door to the Crab and Winkle. One business owner said they have been told the complex will not open today and are awaiting an update on when they can open. Part of Harbour Street remains closed this morning with a diversion via Cromwell Road. Well, those demolition teams have now started work. It's since been confirmed the South Key Shed attraction will not reopen this weekend because a deep clean is required. Kent Fire and Rescue are still investigating what caused the fire. At its height yesterday, 10 fire engines and a height vehicle were at the scene with dozens of firefighters using hoses to try and put out the flames. It's thought the section of Harbour Street and the South Key will remain closed to pedestrians and vehicles until Sunday. The City Council also say the Harbour Market is accessible and the Harbour Garden Cafe can open. They're also liaising with fishermen and their fridges are all fully operational. Moving to Gravesend now, where experts have been assessing the damage at an historic pub, the New Inn on Queen Street, caught alight at around the same time yesterday lunchtime and the flames spread to a pharmacy next door. The Grade 2 listed building was one of the oldest in the town and part of it has collapsed into the street. Crews in nine fire engines along with a height vehicle were needed to tackle that one and again it's not known how it started. Roads bosses say Milton Road, which is one of the main routes into town, will remain closed until 5pm on June the 2nd, that's next Thursday. Well, you can see pictures and video from both of those fires by heading to the stories at Kent Online. Kent Online News. Next today, and this was predicted in yesterday's podcast, there are already delays at Dover and Folkestone as the half-term getaway starts. Ferries and Eurotunnel services are going to be very busy as thousands of people go abroad from a holiday. Liverpool football fans are also heading to Paris for the Champions League final, which takes place tomorrow. At the time of recording today's podcast, TAP was in place on the A20 heading towards the port of Dover, while it was taking about two hours to get onto Eurotunnel and ferry services. Rose bosses were expecting to have to implement Operation Brock on the M20 to hold lorries until there was space at the border. The M2 has also been busy as lorries are turned around if they've tried to use it instead. Over the weekend, do listen to our sister radio station KMFM for regular travel updates. We've also got a travel blog at Kent Online and you can follow our socials for details of any breaking travel news. This probably won't ease the congestion this weekend, but all three P&O ferries have now been cleared to sail between Dover and Calais. The Pride of Canterbury is the final ship to pass a safety inspection. It's been out of action for more than two months after the company replaced nearly 800 workers with lower paid agency staff. 
staff back in March. Two men have been arrested after a fight involving a knife in Chatham High Street. Trust me, he's actually got a knife. Video footage posted online shows chairs being thrown during the shocking incident which happened yesterday afternoon. Take child back the other way, please. Oh, yeah. He's got a f- Thankfully, no one was injured. The men are being held on suspicion of a fray and we're told a weapon was seized. Meantime, police say they're looking for the victim of an attack at a pub in Hythe. A fight reportedly broke out between two men at the Prince of Wales Inn in Dimchurch Road. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with car dealerships in Canterbury and Maidstone. A Liverpool man who ran a drug supply chain in Thanet has been jailed for 10 years. Josh Harkins controlled the Scouse line, which distributed Class A drugs in Ramsgate for almost a year. The 31-year-old from Morningside Road went on the run to Spain, but eventually returned to hand himself in at Margate Police Station. A suspected robber's been charged after a man was attacked in a pub toilet in Gravesend. His bag, containing his phone and bus pass, is reported to have been taken. A 39-year-old from the town has appeared before magistrates and is due back in court next month. Now, on yesterday's podcast, we told you about the measures that have been announced by the government to try and help with the rising cost of living. Each household will be getting at least £400 to help pay for energy bills and other costs like food, which have got so much more expensive. The Chancellor also announced additional support for those on low incomes, the elderly and people who are disabled. And we were asking if you thought it was enough. Well, one charity in Medway say it doesn't go far enough. Neil Charlick is from Gillingham Street Angels, which runs a food bank and helps many people in need. He's been speaking to our colleagues at KMTV. Obviously every penny counts, but if you're going to try and charge people thousands of pounds in extra every year for fuel and then give them four pound back it's it's something but it's a bit of an insult really i don't, just don't think it's enough i think we're going to people are going to start cutting back on essential things so whether it's people who use counselors will won't go to see counselors they can't afford it people will stop insuring their cars taxing their cars start shoplifting i think the backlash of what's going along well people will start to do some very crazy things just to be able to make ends meet i had a chat last week with someone from the fire brigade was talking to them about people will start to do some some crazy things they'll start to have fires to warm their cells up to warm water up start to use candles i think that'll just increase the danger of what we're putting pressure on the nhs the police the fire brigade i think it's going to backfire on us i think they just need a bigger support package i don't think it's just going to be about the energy prices i think we're lucky at the moment the sun's out and it's not costing people too much money when we start to get to october september it's going to be a disaster i think people are going to really struggle we're starting to give out a lot more quilts, blankets, things to keep people warm. We're finding with food, the food, the main thing we do is we're a food bank. People won't take things like cook, say a chicken, because it takes too long to cook. Potatoes take too long to cook. People are now going down the route of they want ready meals. They want quick and easy stuff that they can cook quick enough to it not cost them a lot of money, which then the dangers of that, we're going we're gonna to go down the wrong route. People are not eating healthy food because they just can't afford to cook it. We get people turn up daily that can't afford to. We're based in Gillingham. We can't cover, you know, say the peninsula. We can't go to all these small areas. So we're giving food out in ME 1, 2, 3, kind of and across 7 and 8, those kind of areas. But we just can't reach the whole area. So there's people in rural districts who just can't get to the food. I think the problem we're going to get with those kind of people is they're missed. They're missing off the radar. It's just going to cause big problems. The people who come to us every day, we get some horrific stories. 
the people who can't, you know, they come once a week. They can't afford to carry the food back. They can't afford to transport themselves to get the food. I just think we're going in a downward, a downward spiral. It's getting quite sad. Meantime, Government Minister Jacob Rees-Mogg has warned a windfall tax on oil and gas companies to help pay for the support will come with economic costs. Elsewhere today, a Maidstone woman who's training to be a midwife has started a petition calling for free childcare to be extended to student healthcare providers. Charlotte Wolseley spends more than £500 a month sending her daughter to nursery, but feels the 30 hours free care should be given to those learning the profession too. She currently works more than 57 hours a week with up to 13-hour shifts and says she can't afford the costs. Kent Online reports. The Kent Online podcast has been told there's now an epidemic of mental health issues among students. Bosses at the Howard School in Raynham have told us that children are coming to them every day asking for help. They've introduced a mental health outreach team this year because of growing demand and Ish has been chatting to assistant head teacher Julie Parrish. It's not an exaggeration to say that it is an epidemic. It started during lockdown um, when we were making phone calls home on a regular basis to vulnerable kids. Well, all the kids actually did phone home, all of the children. And we were having um, conversations with parents then before they came back um, saying that the um, the isolation and um, the, the lack of contact with, with friends um, in real life um, was causing massive problems. Um, they were disengaged from, from family life. They just wanted to, to some space and there was none and all those sorts of things. So um, we were very aware of that when, when they were coming back. So I would say now um, it's still manifesting itself. So kids, um, kids are sitting exams today-ish and... Um, Year 13, my year 13 are sitting an exam tomorrow. They've never sat an exam since they were in year 10. Um, so the, they're either completely unfazed because they, even though they've done mocks, they've got no real idea what it's like to sit an external um, exam, or they are literally terrified. So there's that added anxiety. They'd be anxious anyway, an exam, it's exam. But, and then you've got younger kids who haven't, who, who missed out on the year six. Um, socialisation, the transition into school. So the anxiety around peer groups, uh, making friends, all of those bullying, all of those issues that, that we would have dealt with. So basically, it's um, we have kids every every day, every single day, um, who will go to a member of staff and express um, varying levels of anxiety about, about things that previously they probably would have been able to deal with. So, you know, the kids are, um, we, we're trying to teach them about resilience. We're trying to teach them that, that it's normal to be anxious. It's normal to be anxious away for things because they're not used to um, having the, they're in a, they've been in an echo chamber, basically, and their thoughts have, have flown around their head. So now they've come back and we are basically picking up pieces every single day with every single year group. There's no doubting the the impact of the pandemic has been detrimental on so many of our lives. When kids are coming to you every day, what specifically are you doing about that? I mean, how how are you trying to to get to grips with that? I mean, that must be a lot of pressure on yourselves, staff, to yeah. trying to to ease their fears. It's, and, and, and it's for a range of things. That's the thing. And every single child has a specific range of, of needs and issues so you have to, it, uh, what it's time it's time they need time um so we, we've got a range of, of ways that we can support them 
Um, but it's sometimes kids will literally just need a quiet place to sit. They'll just need a quiet place and, and just sort the contents of their head. Um, maybe ask a question, a question that they've made bigger than it than it needs to be. So we deal with every single case on a one-to-one basis and it does get busy. It does get busy, um, but each one of those kids needs support. So th- that's what we do. And we've got our staff, are, you know, they're very good. So we have we have people who are mentors to kids. So they will go to them first. Their form, the form tutors are really good. They'll go to them as well. So all of those things. And they'll pass them on to us and the safeguarding team or the pastoral team if it looks like they need anything, any further intervention, basically. Steve Julian is deputy head of sixth form at the school. He says the biggest stress for students right now is the return of in-person exams. That practice of, of going into a hall, you know, when you were 16, sitting with all those students, you know, sometimes in a hall with over 100 students and for hours on end, you know, doing sometimes upwards of 20 different exams across a whole month. I think that I think we underestimate just how important that is in a defining period in your life. And, you know, like Miss Parrish said, you, you've got students now who have just not had that. And, and, you know, it's not their fault. But with that comes a real pressure as well to think, oh, you know, I've, I've got to do all these exams. And I, and I think it's telling there's a lot of them that have struggled with that. And I think they're just they're, they're just not used to that pressure. And, I, and I've seen one. I, I had literally one the other day and they fell apart in the exam they just they just couldn't cope with it they, they completely fell apart the stress the anxiety of everything to the point where i think they answered two questions and that was it they didn't do any more because they just the, the whole situation just got on top of them and it was too much do you think it would have been helpful to push back in-person exams to give more time for your students to have another year of i guess practicing or getting used to what it's like like you said you've had so many who've never done it before in an ideal world you could say yeah that'd be great but then there is part of it that where we've we've had to go right you know what we've, we've got to live with covid we've we've got to adjust and I, I have the greatest sympathy for students particularly when the current year 13 because their mm. january of last year in year 12 was significantly affected in lockdown mm. and the same with currently year 11 students when they were in year 10 so i do have the great sympathy for those students and actually they have got measures in place that are slightly different now with pre-release information mm. for exams. They've been given a little bit of a heads up about what their exams are on or some courses have been able to drop content. So mm. they have been given that. And I mean, as schools and as professionals, we've done everything we can to try and support them and give them as much practice content and, and going through exam scenarios or, you know, some students get additional extra rooms or different spaces where they can do their exams to alleviate any tensions or pressures that they're facing or comfort breaks as well. Um, but I think that part of it as well is, you know, there needs to be some element of resilience as well built into this. And that's something that we we work on as a school. Yeah. But also, I think outside of that in society that we need to prepare young people for as well is to mm. develop that that resilience to say, look, look what we've gone through over the last two years these they were unprecedented times but it's a it's a marker to show that actually these are some of the most significant challenges that we can mm. face and if you can come through that look what you can achieve well we do wish all the very best to all of those students who are doing GCSE and A level exams at the moment there's been a drop in the number of people in hospital with covid in kent for a seventh week in a row 73 patients were being treated on tuesday down from 482 at the start of april latest figures show 24 coronavirus virus deaths were recorded in the county in the week to May the 13th.
Britain's biggest weather spoon, which is based in Ramsgate, has been evacuated over an emergency which actually turned out to be a hoax. Bosses at the Royal Pavilion say someone claiming to be a police officer told them patrols were on their way, but they didn't show up. It's understood an authentic police ID had been used, but the officer didn't make the call. Kent Police are now looking into it. Kent Online reports. It's been claimed today that the Lower Thames Crossing will be the greenest road ever built in the UK. It's hoped the tunnel linking the A2 near Gravesend with Tilbury and Essex will help reduce congestion at Dartford. While revised plans could see large areas of farmland being used to offset pollution. A consultation into those revised plans is underway. Matt Palmer is an executive director at National Highways, which is overseeing the construction. There's a lot of recognition by lots of people, certainly in North Kent, around the blight that Darfur, Darfur puts on them and therefore the need for something. Then, and so you have a lot of comments, so 50% roughly is, you know, sort of would tell you that, yes, we need something. Second question then is, is it in the right place? And, and what are you doing to minimise it? I mean, a lot of, sort of the conversations going on at the moment are really around uh, ancient woodland. Um, are we minimising and maximising sort of green spaces? How do I get to and from so-and-so? Um, so We've got 20 kilometres of new bridleways and footpaths in Kent, and it's sort of how do they link? We spent actually, uh, we did some engagement, sort of community engagement about two, a month ago or two on exactly that. So there's lots of sort of questions about it. There's, um, and that, so that's sort of the, about the end story. And then there's also a lot of uh, conversations about what happens next, what about construction, um, how do you make sure that you know, I don't get disrupted on my way to school or my uh, you know, way to work, etc. So you have this sort of double, double side of conversations you know, about the end state and about the, sort of, you know, the construction state. And we're really conscious that we are, you know, we are coming in, changing the environment around people, and we've got to do that responsibly and openly. Um, and so that's what this consultation is all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dartford is, yeah, it's an interesting one. So Dartford was conceived, you know, in terms of thoughts back in the 1920s. It took until the 60s to open the first tunnel, got delayed by World War II. So, you know, you've got a tunnel there, the, um, the westbound bore tunnel was sort of conceived and thought of 100 year, years ago. Things were very different 100 years later. Um, and it's now, yeah, it's been there and opened for 60 years, open for about 12,000 vehicles a, a day. It's now, if you move forward, we're running at 180,000. You know, there's a, across, yeah, it's an extra tunnel and then a bridge. Um, and so the, the two tunnels and the bridge combined should be taking about 130,000 vehicles a day. And they're taking 180,000 on busy days. And busy days are more frequent than less frequent. Um, and if you and, and you are from here, you know, Friday afternoons never a good time. Um, and there's, you know, the list goes on of when they're, when they're not good. So I mean, amazingly, 50 million crossings of the tunnel, the of the river every year. That's pretty much the population of England. 75% of all sort of channel freight goes across it. So it's a vital lifeline, but it's running over capacity which leads you to um, congestion. I suppose the, th the last bit is the tunnels were designed, as I say, in a different era, and they're not really designed for the road traffic of today. So the tunnels themselves, the uh, westbound bore tunnel is too small for the really big trucks, so they, so they have to move over, and if you get the wrong height, they can get stuck. So there's quite often 
um, instances where we're pulling people one truck from left to right and right to left. They're also not designed to take fuel trucks through, so if you go down there on a normal day, you'll see every 15 minutes we stop the traffic on the left-hand bore, on the west bore, and take them through. And all of that means that if, as the congestion builds, or sorry, as the, the demand builds up, congestion builds up, um, and then that just blights the whole area. And so you kind of got this natural thing, and if you, you as you are local, you kind of, it's a lot easier not to go across the river than to go across the river. And if you think about that, that's quite interesting because, yeah, economically, it means this part of Kent's got less access to things north side. So you kind of got, always got to go south rather than north and south. Um, and it's why you can have um, blue, you know, blue water and lakeside only a mile apart, you know, because of the crossing, because people don't cross it. So the whole corner of, this, of the county is being blighted by the fact that Dartford is just difficult and people don't want to go across it. Yet it's incredibly busy. So 50 million people decide to go across it one day, yeah, in a in a year, um, and all of that sort of is blighting the area. Um, and then more strategically, going back to the you know huge amount of freight going across it, which feeds the country, feeds the locality. So it's an important economic one. Um, so the idea is low Thames crossing alleviates Dartford, doubles the capacity crossing the Thames, and it will actually um, bring the sort of two economies of Kent and Essex closer together. So suddenly here in Gravesham you'll be closer to um, Basildon than you've ever been before. Now it depends how you feel about Basildon of course whether that's a good thing or not but it means you've got more access to more things in a shorter period of time. So, so that's the sort of the background and the logic behind it. It's because we've got an ageing piece of infrastructure that's not fit for purpose that we need to build a relief. You can go along to have a say in Chatham and Sean at events that are taking place next month or you can hand in comments at libraries in Cuxton, Gravesend, Maidstone and Snodland. At Kent Online today you can take a look inside a 700 year old building in Maidstone that's been turned into a luxury guest house. Stonecourt House was once used as a brothel and was raided by police back in 2012 where the new owners have spent two years converting it into an Airbnb style business. Whilst you're on the site you can also see pictures of a Victorian fort that's up for sale in Medway. The site in Borstal was used as a base during the Second World War but has since been converted into a home. It has an extensive network of underground tunnels and rooms and is on the market for one and a half million pounds. A Kent Animal Park's celebrating after the birth of three baby white-belted ruffed lemurs. The boy and two girls arrived at Port Lim near Hythe. They're said to be one of the world's most endangered primates. And a digital inf- Influencer from Kent is going to feature in a new Netflix show next month. Snowflake Mountain will see 10 people compete for a cash prize while learning how to survive on their own at a wild boot camp. 25-year-old Ray Hume from Rochester thought she was going on a relaxing retreat, but instead got tricked into entering. Kent Online Sports. Cricket first and Kent will be hoping to bounce back from Wednesday's defeat when they take on Essex in the T20 Blast today. The Spitfires lost to Somerset in their opening game and have also had a disappointing start to the county championship season. Plays due to get underway at Canterbury at seven this evening. We'll have details of the result in bulletins on our sister radio station KMFM tomorrow morning. And in football, the Gillingham manager says progress is being made in building a new squad for next season. Neil Harris needs to make up to 15 new signings after several players left the club following their relegation to League Two. He says initial talks have been going well. That's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget you can 
and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. And whilst you're on the site today, you can read the latest reviews from our secret drinker who's been out and about in Broadstairs. We'll be back with the podcast on Monday. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by the FG Barnes Group with showrooms in Canterbury and Maidstone, offering a range of new and approved used cars, including MG, Seat and Vauxhall.